Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Uranium Market Minute. Today is Thursday, October 20th, and this is episode number 196. My name is Justin Hewn. I am your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Pro Newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium, finds the best risk-reward investing opportunities in the space, and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. Great to be back with you all again uh, this week. Definitely, um, as as is always, there's a lot happening in the sector. I'm going to touch on a couple of those elements I feel are noteworthy. One of them has to do with UXC, which is the primary uh, nuclear fuel uh, consultant. And another one has to do with the NEI conference that just happened earlier this week and some detail that has come out of that. Before we do that, we're going to run very quickly through the daily scoreboard. There's not a whole lot going on there with an exception of well, what's happening with the spot price and the spot market. We'll look at the charts and then we'll go into the mailbag section, discuss these elements that I just mentioned. All right, spot 52.10 mid market continues to march higher. This is about a $5 move over the past month or so. Uh, the, the price is on the move. And as I probably mentioned last week, what we are seeing in the spot market now is plenty of participants that are not SPUT. Now, SPUT did purchase 100,000 pounds last week. That was last week on Thursday. They have purchased zero pounds this week. However, interestingly enough, SPUT has, uh, they did trade at a premium four days in a row, raised cash four days in a row. The last two days, they've been out of the market in terms of cash raising and uh, spot market buying. However, we are seeing price appreciation in the spot market. And that's having to do with uh, traders, utilities, uh, producers, and hedge funds. <clears throat> and all of these elements are participating in the spot market currently. And if you think about what was going on in the spot market even six or eight weeks ago, you could hear a pin drop. There's absolutely nothing happening. So this is new, and this is definitely a development worth noting. Where will this lead? I believe we are headed higher, and I believe we are headed significantly higher. And I'm going to share um, something coming out of the NEI in the mailbag section here that supports um, exactly this. And I apologize for my voice. I'm a little bit congested, just getting over a cold still here. Uh, all right, SPUT. Let's see. Like They closed at minus 2.5% discount to NAV yesterday, sitting on $34.6 million in cash. Um, they might do a little bit of buying with that amount of cash, but most likely they're going to keep trying to raise if we see a little bit more risk come onto the market. Now, the days that they did trade at a premium to NAV, there was not a whole lot of trading volume. Still, we're still not seeing institutional money pile into this particular vehicle yet. Turning to the ETFs, no changes uh, reported for yesterday. We did have a pretty big um, share issuance by URA. That was based on the trading from last Wednesday. They issued more than a million shares, and that was a lot of buying that they had to do based on that day. That was a big update last Wednesday. Other than that, relatively flat with regards to the ETFs. Okay, let's take a look at the charts. Starting off with URA, up slightly 0.7% on the day with the S&P down 0.8. Nice little outperformance. However, look at this pretty ugly daily candle with a big long wick reversal candle. Definitely uh, did not close anywhere near the highs of the day. We had a decent amount of momentum happening for a little bit there. And then that almost completely reversed. However, we did uh, outperform the S&P today by 1.5%. This continues to kind of chop sideways over the past couple of weeks within this uh, wedge uh, pattern that we're seeing here and still uh, above this 
uptrend line that marked multiple points of support over the past couple of years since the beginning of the bull market back here in December of 2020. And zooming out, we are still in a pattern that I would consider an outperformance long-term that has only just begun with regards to URA relative to the S&P. Let's take a look at SPUT. SPUT trading, let's see, completely flat on the day. Wow, that's interesting. Where's the volume? It is certainly not there. We're not seeing volume. In fact, we're seeing declining volume over the past week's trading or so. Absolutely flat on the day. Reversal candle. We got close to a premium to NAV at the highs of the day. I did highlight here some significant negative divergence. We're making a higher high for the trust and a lower high on the RSI. That usually means we're going to move down at least uh, slightly and at least in the short term. Daily uh, divergences in the RSI typically mean a shorter term move, and a shorter term reversal of the uh, short term trend. And the short term trend here is up uh, as well as the long term trend. But I do think we could see a little bit of profit taking on this vehicle if we go a little bit more risk off across markets going forward. Cameco, after that big gap down following the announcement of the Westinghouse deal, where they raised, uh, they ended up raising, let's see, they announced 650. They did, it was oversubscribed. They did, I think it was 747 million at 21.95 per share. Uh, traded down a couple of days later, significantly below that raise at $21 and uh, six or seven cents. Now we're back up above the level of the raise. That's definitely a positive sign. Would like to see this chart recover and this gap fill and get back up above that 200-day moving average as the sector's flagship. Okay, mailbag section. So <clears throat> um, this is actually not coming from a mailbag question here, but I just want to highlight a couple of things. So to put something in context, UXC, which is uh, probably the primary nuclear fuel consultant, their main clients are utilities and utilities uh, access their product, not only for price reporting, but for just kind of getting a general gauge on the sector. What's going on across the fuel cycle? How are the prices moving? What sort of tenders are out there in the market? Are there any RFPs being put out of size for uh, certain elements of the fuel cycle? Um, details about what some of the companies are up to, developments on plant closures, developments on new builds, development on restarts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they really do uh, a pretty fantastic job of distilling a very complex sector uh, with, with an eye on what it means for utilities, okay? And so over the years, UXC has come under a little bit of scrutiny, let's say, from some of the investing community due to their uh, the conservative nature of their forecasting. And to be fair, UXC's job, let's say, is not necessarily to forecast where prices are going to go. It's really to take a, a very broad picture of what's going on across the fuel cycle and for nuclear generally globally and provide that information to utilities. And they do a great job of that. However, there, there's a couple of things that they've done over the years that have come under scrutiny. One of them, which I think is interesting, is that they tend to count basically any pounds that are not primary supply um, that do that the difference between primary supply and actual reactor demand of any given year, that all qualifies as secondary supply. And most of the time, the bulk of that secondary supply on an annual basis is coming from in inventories being drawn down. And so 
um, the, the biggest critique of this particular uh, methodology is that pounds in year A that are produced and mined out of the ground are counted as primary supply. And then count pounds in year C or D are counted as secondary supply. There, it's literal double counting of that material. Now, does inventory act as secondary supply? Yes, effectively it does. However, that's double counting of that material. So if, uh, if we're talking about, let's say, let's just take this year as a snapshot. We're talking about, let's say 175 million pounds of total demand not even talking about secondary demand, right? Financial players, et cetera. But uh, primary demand, 175 million pounds, uh, plus or minus a few million pounds. Primary supply, probably going to look at around 130 to 135 million pounds. We've got a 40 million pound deficit. We've got maybe 15 million pounds of secondary supply coming from underfeeding and tails re-enrichment, maybe a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit less than the difference of that. What is that? That's 40, that's a 25 million pound difference. That's secondary supply from inventory drawdown, essentially. Okay, those are very, very rough high level numbers, but just to give you an idea that that methodology comes under a lot of scrutiny from the investing side because they're counting pounds twice. They're counting when they're mined and they're counting when they're drawn down, same pounds, doesn't make sense. But it effectively is secondary supply, sort of, uh, as far as the utility goes, okay? so. That's what the what the guys from Sachem Cove uh, would call a plug number. They, they just throw out this number to plug the deficit. And that plug number is the deficit. That's that's the difference between what's being consumed and what's being produced, secondary or primary. Okay, so on top of that, they've been a relatively conservative forecaster of price. And while, again, this isn't their job to forecast price, it is something that they do. Okay. So they'll, they'll, they put out, you know, midterm, long-term three-year forward, five-year forward, long-term price. And these prices have, uh, they're based on essentially mathematics having to do with the current spot price, um, interest rates, inflation, et cetera. And that's kind of a base case. So if right now the long-term price is $49 a pound, it's actually less than the spot price. However, are there any long-term contracts being signed at that price? No, they're not. So that's kind of this base case to start with. And then the term price gets adjusted to the actual contracts based on jurisdiction, quantity, time frame of delivery, et cetera, et cetera. Who is the producer that's doing that? Um, and those contracts are very complex. But all of this is to say that over the years, while the investing side is has been banging the table saying, this market is fragile, something is going to disrupt this. We cannot be relying on one country to produce 40 plus percent of the uranium every year, that's Kazakhstan. Um, we've got major deficits ahead. We need higher prices. We need the utilities to step up to the table, voluntarily contract with some of the idled uh, producers like Cameco and Paladin. We need these mines back online. We need even higher prices than that to bring new supply online, let alone restarted care and maintenance mines. And um, all, all the while, UXC is, is essentially taking a snapshot of the industry. So if you go back, I mean, COVID was kind of a big disruption, but let, you know, barring COVID, you go back two, two and a half, three years, and the snapshot was very different, okay? Still had ample above ground mobile, mobile inventory. You still had, um, you still had primary production of significance with only a couple of years in from care and maintenance mines coming offline, right? MacArthur River, especially with Cameco buying in the spot market. 
um, you you had abundant that abundant mobile mobile inventory provided a lot of opportunity for carry traders. The utilities were not coming to the Cameco's of the world saying, "All right, we get it. We understand that there's this big supply deficit, you know, out at the end of the decade, and in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and voluntarily pay pay you forty five bucks a pound fixed." um with uh with market adjusted prices for the rest of the contract and we're going to do that even though we can go to Kazanaprom and sign a contract for 32 or we can go to a carry trader and sign a contract for 33 whatever it might be zero utilities did that okay it it wasn't really on the utilities to go ahead and take one for the team and pay way more than the current market prices so the the current market prices dictate where the market is at right now Okay, the market doesn't always price in the future until it does. Okay, so essentially, to put this all in perspective, UXC has been relatively conservative in their expectations of pricing going out into the future. There's plenty of supply. Uh, we're still not seeing utilities, um, you know, pound the table for for their needs and restocking inventories. We've seen inventory drawdowns. So, so now what we're seeing is a a tidal shift from uh, the language that they've had over the past number of years. And that started to shift probably about a year ago, especially with the uh, with the onset of Sput's ATM. Sput has now purchased almost 40 million pounds in 14 months. And that has cleared out a lot of above ground mobile inventory. It's actually cleared out some of the pounds held by carry traders as well. So essentially what UXC is starting to say is we're seeing... Um, significant inventory drawdowns in the US and the EU. Okay, the US is now uh, has inventories 15% uh, lower than 2016. EU has inventories 30% lower than 2014. So especially what's happening over the last couple of years with Sput coming in uh, just like like a bat out of hell buying pounds off off the off the spot market. And with what's happening with this bifurcated market with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, this very unsettling experience for utilities um, a, a quickly shifting market. And so what do utilities do in that situation? They do two things. They draw down inventories, um, hopefully waiting for this disruptive event to settle out and go back to some kind of situation resembling what they had last year. And they flex up their existing contracts. And so within these contracts that utilities sign with producers and sometimes with traders as well, they can actually voluntarily choose to receive more material than they originally contracted for. And every contract's going to be different. That might be a 10% flex up or they can flex it down too. But utilities generally right now are flexing up those contracts. So if you have a, a contract delivery of X amount of enrichment starting next year, you might flex that up and say, hey, I want to I want to um, exercise that option to flex up that delivery. Um, to try to buffer a little bit of inventory and let this pass, okay? So uh, UXC highlights the inventory drawdown and essentially as something that's relatively alarming. We're, we're, leaching, we're, we're reaching multi-year lows in inventories, both in the US and the EU. Uh, another important point that they're making, and I can't share this verbatim because it's behind a paywall, it's copyrighted material. Um, and anytime I share anything about UXC, I always mention that um, you can you can set up a free account, uxc.com. I'm not an affiliate or anything like that. Um, I highly suggest that you do so, uxc.com. You can set up a free account. You can get access to some of their price reporting, which is uh, great data just to put things in perspective for you as an investor in this space. Um, 
okay, so this other point is that this uh, energy crisis that many countries are facing right now is effectively solidifying demand in the West or de-risking it, let's say. So if you if you're trying to model out demand going out, you know, a number of years into the future, and you're you're looking at any particular country, especially in the West right now for this particular example, and um, a country that may have been more inclined to close down existing operating reactors going out into the next five to 10 years is more than likely now going to reconsider that decision. So this energy crisis that's happening currently across multiple countries in the West is, um, is solidifying that demand. So while you might look, let's say five years ago at the West versus the East and look out towards 2030 in terms of supply and demand modeling, you might say, you might say that um, Western demand is going to ever so slightly decrease while Eastern demand is increasing. And it's not necessarily going to balance itself out, but you'll end up with a, uh, you'll end up with an ever so slightly growing market, but sort of a shift from Western demand to Eastern demand over time with China's build out going crazy. Um, India's building a lot of reactors, et cetera. Um, it's mostly China, obviously that Eastern demand, but there's still other Eastern countries that are building out. So to put that into perspective, what they're saying now is while previously, even, you know, as soon as three, as recent as three, four years ago, we would have said, okay, um, the West is kind of staying stagnant, maybe slightly dropping demand over time. And the East is doing this. We've got this slowly growing market that gets slightly balanced um, in near term. Uh, and now they're saying the West is likely here, if not growing, and the East is growing also. So basically what they're saying is the demand picture for the coming years is far more robust because of this energy crisis and because of things like the, the United States Inflation Reduction Act and these green energy energy tax credits for nuclear. I mean, that's just one example. Reactors remaining online longer, essentially, is what, what we're talking about here. The demand is going to be there and the deficit is significant. Okay, <clears throat> what's another point? Inventory is drawing down. I already mentioned that. Okay, so basically, basically what happens is if we go out, let's say three years, 2025, and we assume MacArthur River's full production or as full as they plan to produce, which I believe is 15 million pounds a year, and then they're bringing cigar down to around 15 million a year as well. Uh, we'll have Langer Heinrich online. Um, we will have uh, Global Atomics DASA starting to produce. We'll have a couple of small players in the United States starting to produce. Um, we'll have slightly increased production from Kazakhstan, uh, assuming they reach their target starting in 2024 to produce a couple thousand more tons. It's about eight, nine, 10 million pounds more per year. Of course, we have ANU Energy with that follow-on $500 million raise they're planning for uh, this quarter, potentially Q1, to buy 10 million pounds from uh, at these prices from Kazatomprom. So that kind of, in one fell swoop, takes away that production increase. But to the point, production takes a uh it becomes almost balanced right around that 2025 point if everything goes as planned and as expected with these restarts and ramping up uh, and typically they, they do not um, in mining almost nothing ever happens on time on budget so this brief snapshot 2025 ish got a few care and maintenance mines back online Kazakhstan's increased their production. We're getting to this place where the market is kind of balanced for a moment in time, but does that really matter? 
doesn't because utilities don't contract. It's not a point of sale, just in time kind of sector. It's where you contract for five to 10 years at a time and you go way out into the future to secure supply for your plant. Because why? The fuel costs for operating nuclear power plant are relatively not insignificant, but they're very small. So U308 specifically somewhere three, four, 5% of total operating costs for nuclear power plant. The sunk costs are huge. These are multi-billion dollar, massive, uh, important assets. And uh, when the fuel prices rise, you pay it. When they drop, you pay it. So what we're talking about is you, you secure the fuel way out of the future to make sure you have what you need to keep that plant operating, period. That security supply is absolutely paramount, especially in the type of world that we're in right now. So what essentially they are highlighting is beyond that 2025, those alligator jaws again open. And we have major deficits going out even before 2030. And this very, very conservative nuclear fuel consultant is essentially waving the warning flag. Um, it's been a long time coming for them to have this type of language and it is now happening. So that's significant. I just wanted to highlight that without actually sharing that material, but I, I strongly suggest that you all go to uxc.com and create that free account so you can access their price reporting and all the great stuff on the website that is not behind the paywall. Um, if you are interested in their, in their paid product, UX Weekly, uh, the Uranium Market Outlook. These are uh, relatively high dollar items, but in my opinion, they're very worth it for anybody who has a significant amount of money invested in this space. Okay, moving on to the next point. The next point, NEI, um, the Nuclear Energy Institute had a conference in Las Vegas uh, on Monday and Tuesday. And we got a decent overview of that conference in our webinar that we hosted yesterday from our guest that did attend this conference. And he went into some um, very interesting detail as far as what he experienced at this conference. One important point that he made that was also made by um, another uh, another prominent player within this space, let's say, um, who's who also gave this information out behind a paywall, so I'm not going to mention his name. Um, basically, what they're saying is that as we've been saying over the past three or four months, that with Russia controlling the Russia being the largest player in both conversion and enrichment, and essentially being voluntarily cut off from the West right now, Western utilities, <clears throat> that the Western utilities have been focusing on securing conversion and enrichment contracts. That's why we've seen such a big jump in conversion and enrichment prices this year to date. Um, and what would happen is once you secure, especially the enrichment contract, um, and that will be with Arano or Uranco in the West. And you secure that, secure that contract. That's going to tell you at what tails assay that contract is. Um, so the, the percentage of the fissile material that's in the waste product during the enrichment process. That dictates how much feedstock you have to provide as a utility. So you have to sign that enrichment contract first because that tells you how much UF6 and U308 you have to buy. Or if there's no UF6 out there, which there isn't, how much U308 you have to buy in order to run it through the conversion process and send it to the enricher for the contract that you just signed. So enrichment contracts are primary. That's the most important thing. Russia controls almost 40% of that market. And now the West is saying, all right, we're going to Irano, we're going to Urenko, we need enrichment um, out 2025, 2026, 2027 and beyond. Let's figure out what those tails assays are. Sign on the dotted line. Now we know how much U308 we're going to buy. Well, what are we hearing now? 
um, within kind of uh, not necessarily in the presentations, but kind of the um, the mood of the room and within private conversations, utilities are now refocusing on U308. And this has not been something that has been their focus to speak very generally about utilities, which is not always that accurate. There's a lot of um, varying utilities that have various levels of coverage going out in the future. Some of them have been very um, astute as far as recognizing the fragility of this market and the deficits of supply going forward and have acted on those um, those observations and some have not. So what are we hearing now? Utilities are refocusing on U308. That is probably why we're starting to see the spot price move. Um, it's certainly not happening because markets are risk on and traders are front running spot. Um, it's almost like the tail is wagging the dog here where, uh, or I guess the dog is wagging the tail and we're tail wagging the dog is spot moving the spot market. So now we have the spot price moving up, spot moving up on low volume. You know, the spot market is moving up uh, because the traders are the glue. They're the connective tissue between the spot market and long-term market. So if we're seeing increased demand for long-term contracts, and we are, we are now at 85 million pounds signed this year in long-term contracts of the U308, the demand is coming back to the U308 market. So literally right now, we're at the beginning of what I think is going to be multiple years of at least replacement rate, if not restocking rate contracting. So what's replacement rate? 175 million pounds signed in a year. What are we going to hit this year? I think we're going to breach 100. When was the last time we breached 100? 2012. 2012, there was that was a replacement rate year. 160, 170 million pounds signed that year. And then it's been nothing but oversupply, carry trades, spot market, topping up inventories with short-term carry trades. And all of the producers or a lot of the producers had to cut production, put mines care and maintenance, stop production entirely. That went on for a long time, guys, a very long time. So I understand that this market moves very slowly. You have to be patient with these types of trades, but you have to also have to understand we were in a bear market. It started in 2011, didn't end for the commodity until 2016, didn't end for the equities until either 2016 or 2020. A lot of the equities made um, multi-year lows in March 2020 or the lows of the bear market in March 2020. So that's what we're hearing. Focus is on U308 now. It's a seller's market. Those are the two big points right now. The seller's uh, the sellers are in the catbird seat here. They're no longer, it's no longer a begathon. They're no longer having to go out and advocate for themselves and call all the utilities and say, hey, you looking for any pounds yet? Ever, the, the, the utilities are coming to them. And we're seeing Paladin uh, secure more offtakes. We're seeing Global Atomics secure offtakes. We're seeing Encore Energy secure contracts. We're seeing other players in the US secure contracts. Um, it's happening. It's happening. And so the risk off environment in the equities, that makes you think it's not happening, but it is. So we deal with these crosswinds um, for the short term. And the thesis remains as strong as it ever has. So I hope that those couple of points there um, help you going forward. I appreciate you being here. Um, if you are not a member and you are interested in accessing our webinar from yesterday, and again, this is somebody that represents um, uh, a company in the space and also is a former fuel buyer. And this person has some very, very unique insights. I heard from at least a dozen members since yesterday saying this was our best webinar yet. And I think there was some very, very high level information shared yesterday. So if you are interested, the link below will take you to our website where you can check out even a, a quarterly membership at a lower cost to, to try on our product. If you are invested in the space, we believe that um, the information that we provide is 
absolutely essential to keep uh, to keep your head on straight, to stomach the volatility, stay in the trade, and to uh, be invested in, in what will bring you the most returns throughout this market. And I think we're really we're really on the cusp of a, a very strong run in uranium and commodities in general. So exciting times. Okay, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I do appreciate you being here. I will see you again next week. Cheers.